welcome to Fat Tuesday. My name is Jasmine, and tonight we're going to be talking about God our Father. Um, to go ahead and just jump right in, um, I want to give you a couple of definitions, um, one of father and the other of a child. So, you know, according to just the dictionary, uh, a father is a male parent or any male ancestor, especially the founder of a family line or progenitor a man who has impregnated a woman and had a child. Now, we know that a father is a lot more than just simply someone who fathers a child or gets a woman pregnant and has a child with her. Um, there's a lot more to it than that. And a child is defined as a young human being below the age of puberty, puberty or below the age of majority, an immature or irresponsible person. Again, a child is more than just those simple definitions, especially when we're looking at it in the spiritual. Um, our Heavenly Father, God, is he's much more than just the one who created us. He's much more than the one who gave us life. Um, he has many names which give him, give us an idea of who he is in so many different ways. He is a friend. He is our protector. He is our, our banner. He is the Lord of hosts and so many others. And I think those layers allow us to get to know him. And it, there's just a depth to God that we can never exhaust. He is that great. And as his children, I think he gives us, we are his children so that we can have, even in this earth, a representation of what that means. Um, many of us, if you don't have children, you are aunts or uncles, cousins to little ones, and there is an innate protective nature um, there. If someone threatens that child, you know, that mama bear or papa bear, if you will, will rise up. You want to encourage them. You want to lift them up. You want them to be anything and everything that God has designed for them to be. And that is what God wants for us as his children once we've been adopted into, into the kingdom family. And even before then, but we'll, we'll get to that in, um, a little bit later. So there are three points that I want to bring out tonight um, in terms of God being our father. It's relationship, our rights as his children, and um, relationship, our rights, and our responsibilities as children of God. And then lastly, um, I'll point out what our response should be to God as our father. So relationship and I think this is where the natural definition of a father, it, it misses so much because there should be relationship. And that's when, you know, two people grow to know one another on more than just a surface level. And one of the most intimate relationships we can have is that with our father, our natural father. And I think sometimes that can be why it's so difficult for us to relate to Father God as a father because we may not have had the best examples but once we make that confession of faith you know the old has passed away behold we have become new and we are adopted into his kingdom family as his children um, so we become sons and heirs of god and co-heirs with christ uh, romans 8 16 17 says for the holy spirit makes god's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being you are god's beloved child and since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, 
we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him provided that we accept his sufferings as our own. So a relationship with God does not simply end at the moment that you say, okay, God, I give you my life and I surrender to you. He, he, has, he owns cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is his and everything that moves in it. And so we have access to all of that as his children. And the greater we get to know him, it's less and less about what he has to offer us and just about getting to know him, getting to delve deeper into the layers of who he is. And another beautiful thing about that relationship is that as we get to know him, we get to know ourselves because he created us. He created us for a very specific purpose in this earth. And so when we get to know him, he tells us who we are. He tells us who we, we were created to be and how wonderful he calls us beloved. And just that word alone, it, it holds such a, an intimate and powerful connotation of beloved. You're not just loved, you're beloved. And it's, I don't know, it, it just brings a smile to your face. At least I hope it does. Um, another part of a relationship between God and us as his children, and one that we sometimes, you know, we don't want to hear is that of discipline. Uh, Father God is a disciplinarian and he does it out of love. You know, there's a scripture that says, um, there's no fear in love because fear has to do with punishment. So God does not punish us, but he does discipline. Punishment um, is done out of anger or frustration or even out of immaturity at the hands of the one who's doling out the punishment. Um, discipline, however, is done out of love because you want to provide correction. You want to provide boundaries that will keep the one who's being disciplined safe or allow them to develop in a way that you know will be most beneficial to them and to the purpose and the call that's on their life. So yes, God is, he's going to discipline those that he loves. Um, and 2 Samuel says it for us, 2 Samuel 7, 14 through 15. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod, like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from my sight. So God will love us. He will discipline us. But we can relinquish certain rights, you know, if we choose to sin, if we choose to be disobedient. And part of um, that disobedience, of stepping outside of the will of God, is that um, God does not cease to be God, but that umbrella of protection, we, we step out from under it. So then all that the enemy throws at us, God is still there. He's waiting for us to come back, but we do, um, we do have to deal with the consequences of our decisions. So in our relationship with God, we become his sons. We do encounter discipline but we also get to experience his unconditional, his agape love. And this is unlike the love of a natural father. No matter how good your father was in this earth, um, God's love surpasses it in leaps and bounds because unlike our natural fathers, God has no limits. There is no end to him. Um, our earthly fathers are limited by time, by money, and even by their capacity to love us, because sometimes they can only love us in the way that they have been loved themselves or the way that they have received love. Um, God, however, he is love, 
And so there is no limit and there's no, there's no end. He cannot be exhausted, literally or figuratively. Um, a father may come from work and be tired. He needs time to decompress or he needs time to unwind. You'll never face that with, with our father. Um, and we know, and I know this is a very common scripture, but it's so potent and so powerful um, that I would hope that it does not become cliche because, and this is um, John 3.16 in the Amplified, Amplified Classic. For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even gave his only begotten unique son so that whoever believes and trusts in, clings to and relies on him shall not perish, shall not come to destruction or be lost, but have eternal, everlasting life. So if we really think about that, God loved us so much, even before we knew him, even before we knew God, even before we knew how much he loved us, and he loved us so much, even while we were still doing anything and everything that we thought we were big and bad enough to do, he loved us so much that he gave up his only son. Now, how many of us, those with children, would give up our sons, would give up our daughters? How many of us would even give up our place in line at the grocery store, much less something as prized as a child? But here God, he demonstrates his love while we had no love for him. We were actually his enemies. But he said, I love you so much, so I'm gonna give my son because I want you to have a way to me. I want to be able to have a relationship with you. So I'm giving you my son in order to do that. Um, once we make that decision to choose God as our father, we then have the choice to the extent of which we will cling to him, trust in him, and rely on him. Um, we can choose to, you know, I said the words, um, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, and now I'll just keep living like I'm living and we'll see what happens here, but I'm just gonna wait for my prize in heaven. Or we can choose to have that relationship that grows deeper and deeper um, day by day as we grow and become closer to him. And so then we experience all that he wants and desires from us on this side of eternity. And this scripture is also, um, it's very dear to me because I think sometimes as children, we can think that we've done something so wrong or we can think that, man, there's no coming back from this. Um, especially if we've made that decision to make him um, our Lord and our savior to say, okay, Father God, I choose you as you have chosen me. And then we, we fall, we, we sin, we get off track. But the word of God says in Romans 8, 38 through 39, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we, we don't want to take advantage of his love. We, we don't want to simply go out and say, well, he's gonna forgive me, he loves me so much. 
but we want to allow that relationship and the truth of his love to walk with us in everything that we do. So even when we make a mistake, we come back to him and we repent. We're, Father, I'm, I'm sorry. This is not something that I want to do again. Help me to not do this again. And then we trust in him to provide the strength and the means by which to do that. And finally, in relationship, we have companionship with other sons. And we find strength in that companionship and in that fellowship with other kingdom citizens. So um, in Mark 6, 7, he called the 12 disciples together and sent them out two by two. He gave them authority over the evil spirits. So why two by two? Why not just send them out? They could cover more ground. Not no. Um, two by two. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. That's Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. And so that triple um, braided cord, that would be the two disciples. And then that would be Jesus. Um, because wherever they went, they took his word. They took his teaching with them. They emulated um, the things that they had been taught by him um, before he sent them out. So... There was safety in the two of them going out together, but there was also a strengthening of the relationship between the disciples as they went out into the trenches together and they were developing trust in one another and building that bond of relationship um, where two people from completely um, different areas of life, they came together because of Christ and they're now brothers and sisters and that's what we are. And so we develop those relationships with God and also with one another. Um, so in this relationship with God, um, there are certain rights, certain things that come as a part of it. And um, you all know, I'm sure, of like the Bill of Rights or of even if you go into a hospital, there are patient rights. These are things that we can expect in these particular situations. They're, they're almost like givens, um, things that we can actually take for granted if we are not careful. The first right um, with God our Father is the right to become children of God. And as I was reading that scripture, and that's John 1.12, but to as many as did receive and welcome him, he gave the authority, power, privilege, right, to become the children of God, that is, to those who believe in, adhere to, trust in, and rely on his name. That word become jumped out at me. And to me, it had kind of a, a dual meaning or a dual role. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are immediately, we immediately become, you know, children of God. But become also has a continuous connotation, meaning that there is a process. So we become children of God in that moment. 
but then we began a transformation process through the duration of our lives where day by day, moment by moment, we begin to look more and more like our Heavenly Father, where we begin to speak as He speaks. Our behaviors begin to become more like His, um, as we saw in Jesus, our supreme example of how we can live a godly life. And imagine, think about it this way, those of you who have spent any time around children, what is one thing that they love to do? They're around two or three years old. They love to put their feet in an adult's shoes. And I see my little cousin do this all the time. Anytime she's with me, she'll eventually walk over to my shoes and she's clumping around the house in my shoes. And it's almost an, it's an endearing kind of thing. They are wanting to emulate us. They're wanting to um, follow in our footsteps but we've got to make sure those footsteps are worth following in. And as children of God, we know that those there are no other footsteps that we can follow in that would lead us to a better life or that would help someone that we love or someone we know or a complete stranger live a, a better and more fulfilling life. And I don't just mean, you know, having more um, material possessions, but being fulfilled, knowing who they are not chasing after the lust of the flesh, but being driven by the spirit of God that is in us. And so living a life that is just, just, just full. Um, when we accept Christ as Lord and Savior, we are instantly rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his marvelous light. We immediately become his sons. And then we begin that journey of transformation as I spoke of um, a moment ago. Um, our behaviors and our appetites and our thoughts are transformed. Our minds, instead of responding the way that we used to respond, instead of just reacting the way that we used to react, we, we become slow to speak and quick to listen. We develop different characteristics. The fruit of the spirit begins to um, hang heavy and low on the branches of our lives. And we attract people, and when we attract those people, they then have something, too, that they can uh, take hold of, and they can be refreshed by the fruit on our lives. And then we can point them to the God who developed that fruit in us. And then they, can emu they emulate us as we emulate Christ, and then it goes on. Um, we take on the characteristics of our fathers, and I'm, many, I'm sure many of you have had that experience when you made that decision and you began living a life that is pleasing to God and not simply to yourself, that people that you once knew when they meet you, to yourself you don't seem all that much different. You don't look different. I mean, to yourself you don't sound different, but immediately they recognize that you are not the same person. Immediately they recognize that your speech is different. Your, even the way that you carry yourself is different. That's because you have begun and you are in that transformation process of becoming more and more like your father. Um, let's see. Romans 8, 14 through 15 says, The mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into the fear of never being good enough but you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection, beloved father. 
and uh, one of my coworkers, she said something to me once, and I I've been saying it since. Um, she called God Papa, Papa God. And when I say that, there's just such a, an intimacy, and it's almost like curling up in his arms, in his lap. And so in whatever moment I'm in, you know, Papa God, good morning, Papa. I wake up and I say, good morning, Papa. And it's like immediately I can feel him wrapping his arms around me. And that is the experience that he wants us to have with him um, often throughout the day. And then he wants us to share that experience with others. And, and I love that scripture, the Romans 8, 14 through 15, because, you know, we don't have to be controlled by flesh anymore but by the spirit of God that dwells in us. And we don't have to feel as if we didn't have an earthly father or if that earthly father wasn't so great or if we had one and he is no longer on this earth, we never have to feel orphaned. We never have to feel alone. We are never alone once we, once we say yes to our father. And I, I love that tender affection. He, he loves us so tenderly and so fiercely and he wants us to know who we are in him. Another right that we have as children of God is to approach our Father, to approach the throne room of grace with boldness. And now we are brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. And he welcomes us to come right into the most holy sanctuary in the heavenly realm boldly and with no hesitation for he has dedicated a new life-giving way for us to approach God for just as the veil was torn in two Jesus body was torn open to give us free and fresh access to him and that's Hebrews 10 19 through 20 so we have a right to come right on in the Israelites in the desert they built the tabernacle the tabernacle there consisted of different gates that you could enter in. There were courtyards, and then you had other rooms once you were in the tabernacle. And then there was the Holy of Holies, and only a priest could enter into that room. And even then, only once a year. And it was so vital for the priest to be in right standing with God that they would tie a rope around him just in case, you know, he didn't come out that he didn't make it in the presence of God. We no longer have to rely on anyone to go to God for us. We have the right to go to God on our own. Think about it this way. Um, a little girl, she walks up to her father and says, Daddy, I want a pony. I mean, it's not a question, it's not a demand, it's simply a statement that she makes to her father, whom she knows is her provider. She knows he's someone that she can depend on and trust. So she expresses her heart boldly. I mean, we have, as adults, we tend to shy away from the things that we want. And we do it in the natural, and we also do it with our Heavenly Father. But he tells us to come boldly. That's why he sent his son because he wanted to have that one-on-one -on -one intimate relationship with you where there was nothing standing in the way of the two of you. That is why he abhors sin. He hates sin because it, it, it creates a barrier. It creates a, a, a chasm, a grand canyon, if you will, between you and him where you feel as though you cannot come into his presence and you feel as though you are not worthy of his presence. And it's that sin that he, that he dislikes. 
he loves you because even when you were still a sinner, he loved you. He does not like the sin or he does not like the sin that keeps you from him. So we have that ability through Christ to approach our heavenly father and to come to him boldly and to express whatever desire it is that we have. And, you know, he will give us the desires of our hearts if we delight ourselves in him. And I think, too, we must remember to uh, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Then everything else will be added unto us. So it, it helps us through our relationship with him and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Our wants and our desires, they, come al they become aligned with his. And so it, it's, um, it's almost like a given that he will provide those things for us. Um, there we go. The Holy Spirit, he is our teacher and our comforter. He is the lamp unto our feet and the light unto our path. And he is our teacher. He will teach us all things. And he'll bring us, bring back to our remembrance everything. So we don't have to walk this walk alone. We're not trying to figure this thing out on our own. Um, we have the Holy Spirit with us. And then we have Jesus as our example of how to approach our Father. Um, when things are great when things are not so great. Um, in the wilderness, Jesus was, he was hungry, he was tired, he was thirsty, all of these things, but he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he could trust his heavenly father. And so he stood on that word and every time the enemy came at him, he came back or he, he didn't retaliate, he stood on the word and he was like, you're, you're not, you're not going to get me to step down or step off of this truth that I know. Um, and so that is, a, that is what we have as well as children of God. We can stand on the word of God and know that it is infallible, it is unshakable, and it is unchanging. Um, the last thing, uh, well, one of the last things is that we have certain responsibilities as children of God. You know, we can, I think sometimes, especially after we've been in this walk a little while, become brats. We can get on our high horses or we can think, well, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the king. I can have and do whatever I want. And while that is true to a certain extent, we have to check our attitudes and our motives behind that thinking. Um, because if it's selfish and it's self um self-aggrandizing then no that's not what god he's not our genie in a bottle he's not our slot machine he's not just going to dole out whatever it is we want when we want it but we do have certain rights and certain privileges um and one of but we also have these responsibilities and one of those responsibilities one of the greatest responsibilities i think we have is to reproduce ourselves as christ did um, and Genesis 1.28 says this, Have many children, so that your descendants will live all over the earth and bring it under their control. I am putting you in charge of the fish, the birds, and all the wild animals. That's the Good News translation. And let's see, Matthew 21.43 says, I tell you, for this reason, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce the fruits of it. So I used to read um, Genesis 128 and be like, okay, have a bunch of have a bunch of kids, you know, 
being immature myself, I was like, okay, so you just start having, reproducing naturally. But it's not just a natural reproduction. As Jesus reproduced himself and the disciples, we are to reproduce ourselves. We're to emulate or to act like and be like, to talk like, to walk like, and to live like Christ. And that will draw others to us. And then they will want to, they walk and talk like we do. But then as we, as we learn and we teach them, then they go on and they produce their own fruit. And that is how we cover the earth. And that is how we bring the earth under control as we are reproducing um, ourselves and, and the spirit of God in this earth as we are speaking out what he has, to, what, what the spirit of God is telling us to put into the atmosphere. As we are speaking his word and declaring things, we are bringing back into alignment and we are calling heaven to earth so that you know, heaven is here on earth that those things that we that are not, we call them, we can see them being manifested here in this earth. Um, we are to be fruitful and multiply. And that is Matthew 21, 15 through 16. Oh, I'm sorry, let's, let's back up real quick. Matthew 21, 43. And it says um, that God the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce the fruits of it. What are the fruit of this fruit of the kingdom? Uh, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what we are supposed to be reproducing in this earth. And as we produce those things in our lives, then yes, those things draw people to us. And even the word of God says that we will draw nations to us and nations that we know not of will be drawn to us. So when we're walking through the store, walking through um, the Walmart or Target or wherever you, you go, people are going to be drawn to you. But it's up to us to, one, have something to give them once they come to us. And two, to have the right mindset that they're not coming to us for us. They're coming to us for that, that fragrance that they're smelling, that, that um, the beauty of God that is the light of God that is shining from within us and the glory of God that is on our lives and on our presence from just being in his presence. They, they see something different in you. They hear something different in you. But we wanna make sure that when they get closer, when, when, when they're standing next to us or when they're standing face to face, that that aroma is still sweet and, and that that glow is still one that is coming from God. Um, again, we are to, in Matthew 21, 15 through 16, this is the NIV, uh, 15 through 16. So this, as I was reading through this, um, it struck me like we've I've been talking about children and I, we can think about this in different ways we are children of God we're spiritual children we're also natural children here in this earth and here in uh, Matthew it says but when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area Hosanna to the son of David they were indignant do you hear what these children are saying they asked him Yes, replied Jesus, have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise. That struck out to me because yes, here I believe that 
you know, initially we can take it and read it as he's speaking about natural children and those who have not yet reached the age of majority. But I believe we can also equate this to um, new believers, um, new brothers and sisters, because they are immature in, in Christ. They don't yet have maybe a full understanding or they're still growing. And this is for anyone because we can't ever assume that we've just ever reached it or that we've made it to a certain point. Um, I don't care how many lights you have on you. I don't care how many people are listening to you. There is, God is so unfathomably large and expansive that our human minds cannot comprehend him. Not in full, not at this point. So there will never come a time when we've received all that we can ever possibly receive um, from him. So one of our responsibilities, yes, we are to bear fruit, but when someone bears fruit and they bring that fruit in, but that fruit is still not yet ripe, that fruit is still developing, it is our responsibility um, not to become so superior spiritually that we would attempt to hinder another's fruit from, from becoming mature, from developing their relationship with Christ, and from getting to know him and getting to know themselves more. Uh, we can look at people and be like, well, why are they acting like that? Why are they saying this? Or why are they doing that? Or that's not how that scripture goes. And we can become very quickly judgmental and, and negatively impact um, their view of not just the kingdom, but of God himself. Uh, but God is not judging. He is, he is not self-righteous. He is not self-important. So we must be careful and take hold of that responsibility to take care of the children, those immature, those babes in Christ that come in. Um, we are to also remain hungry and teachable ourselves. We can't, again, get to the point where we think we have it all, that we don't need more of God, or where we think we've gotten, you can read the Bible front to back, you can quote scripture left and right, but simply having a knowledge of what the words say without having a heart, you are, you become like the Pharisees, the Sadducees. They knew the law, but they did not know, they did not have the heart for the law. They did not have God's heart for the people. And so they overwhelmed and burdened the people with all of these laws, these man-made rules that it was impossible for them to, to carry out, to live up to. And because of that, it would hinder the relationship that the people had with God. And that's not what we want to do. We want to provide an open door and, and show our Father to be the loving and, and merciful and kind and compassionate God that he is. Um, when we subdue this earth, we're filling the earth and we're subduing it. We're bearing fruit. Again, we're reproducing ourselves as Christ reproduced himself and the disciples. But as we subdue this earth, we're not doing it in our own might. We're not doing it in our own power. But it is by the spirit of God that dwells within us. And we utilize the universe creating power that God has deposited in us, the Holy Spirit, the very same breath that he used, the very same power that he used to create, to breathe life into Adam, to speak those things into existence that were not and they be, that's what we have within us. That is what we have to subdue this earth. That is what we have to 
Um, when Adam, we're going to go back to <laughs> Genesis real quick. When Adam sinned, God didn't curse Adam. You know, the serpent was cursed. Eve was cursed with labor pains and childbearing. But God did not curse Adam. He cursed the earth because of Adam. But when Christ was when Christ died, he was buried and then he was he, he was resurrected. He rose from the grave with all power in his hands. And then he transferred that authority to us before he ascended back into heaven. When he gave us that authority, he we now have the ability to free the earth from the chains that the first Adam subjected it to. And so that is the authority that we have. It's not us. It's not because we are so, so wonderful or so great, but it's because God is so loving. And he's just, he's given us that right. He gave us this earth. It's, it's his, and then he gave it to us to manage it and to, to, to walk upon it and to live in this earth. the very same power that God had when he created things. When we see Jesus in the Bible talking to the storm and telling it to be still, we have that power to speak to our storms, whether they be natural, whether they be emotional, physical, spiritual, whatever that storm is, we, are, we have within us the power and then we've given, he's given us the authority to actually speak to that storm and, and bring it into submission. We have the, uh, power, the authority to call those things that are not as though they were and to see them made manifest in the earth. And we have the authority and the power to speak life. Um, we can speak life over dead situations in any area of our life, in the lives of others. We have that ability. That is why our words are so vitally important. What we say, it, it, it creates. Our words are creating. From the moment we, we wake up in the morning and we utter our first words, we are creating. We are cre Whether you think you're, you may not be a do-it-yourself or you may not um, do all of these little projects that you see on YouTube and everything, but you are still very much a creative being because you were created in the image of your father. And that is, that is who he is a creator. And we were created in his image with the same ability to create that he has. Um, now, we have these responsibilities. We also have these rights. But I, I believe that in our relationship with God, as we grow to know him and in, in his different facets, and we, he, we grow to know ourselves, that that right relationship with the Father, it changes these responsibilities that I just mentioned and many of the others that you know I did not instead of them being responsibilities, they become privileges. They're things that we get to do, that we're able to do. Now, the definition, when I looked up this word, it kind of, it kind of threw me a little bit because a privilege is defined as a special right, advantage, or immunity granted or available only to a particular person or group. So privilege sounds kind of exclusive. And, you know, the kingdom of God, it's not exclusive. It's open to all who would receive him. But then, you know, reading over it and, and equating it with, with, with God, we are, that's, we are special and we have certain things refer, reserved for us by God. We are, we do have those privileges. 
But then we also are privileged in that we are that special thing that is reserved by God for someone else. So we are able to give them that word or a smile or a hug or a listening ear. We can just stand there and not say anything, but God has allowed us in that moment to be something reserved just for that person. And, and so we get to, we are both privileged and we provide privilege to others. Um, so I think, yes, we have, we have, definitely we have access to a relationship with God. We have, there are certain rights, things that we can expect as children of God. And there are responsibilities that go along with it. Um, it's not just meant to be a cakewalk um, as we live out our lives in this earth um, as children of God. Um, I believe there are also responses. And we're coming to an end here. But as children of God, there are certain responses. And please, by no means, this is not all inclusive. But we are, uh, part of our response should be praise and worship. You know, the word of God says to enter into his courts with thanksgiving. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's Psalm 100. And I want to make sure... Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And he, he's a good God. He's faithful. He is trustworthy. He is true. And so, I mean, how could our response be anything but to worship him and to praise him and to give him glory? Part of that praise and worship, and I'm not going to dwell on this, but as I was writing this out, a part of our um, response should be to tithe. And tithing is not just about money. It's about relationship. And it's not about, okay, God, well, here's what you got. Here's what I got to give you, so I'm going to give it to you. But it's just saying, God, you've asked for this, so I'm willingly going to give it to you. I'm going to cheerfully give it to you. And the relationship that we have with him, as it develops, it shifts tithing from being a responsibility and something that we simply have to do to a privilege. It shifts it from um, being a have to to a joy-filled get to. And we look forward to it as much as we look forward to praise and worship on a Sunday morning or coming in and fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, another response is obedience. And... You know, we can see this in, in Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane before he took that last walk to be crucified on the cross. He was in the Garden, and he was suffering. He was in agony, and, you know, the Bible says that he was crying tears. But ultimately, he said, not my will, but your will be done. And again, he is our chief example. He shows us how to put aside our own wants, our own desires, and even our own needs. Christ knew exactly what he was about to face, but he said, I'm willing, I will lay down my life, and I will do what it is that you sent me into this earth to do. And when he did, he did it without saying a mumbling word. He didn't complain about it. He didn't, you know, tell people, well, I'm doing this for you. You ought to be grateful. 
No, he, he gave himself uh, without uttering a word, except in his very great love to ask our Father, and we had not yet chosen, to forgive us because we didn't know what we were doing. And so that is, that is a very real response is to be obedient to Christ and yeah um, and the last um, point I'd like to make uh, in obedience is in Mark 11 3 through six, 3 and 6 sorry let's come apart a little bit Mark 11, 3, and that says, this is when Jesus, again, he's, he's going into the town. He's going into Jerusalem, and he says, he tells the disciples, he sends two disciples, and he tells them to go and get this colt that is tied up, this, this young donkey that is tied up. And, you know, they're walking into this town. They've been there before, but, you know, they don't know whose donkey they're about to take, but there's no argument there. They go, they get the donkey, and Jesus tells them, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this, tell him, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. And then jump down to six. So sure enough, they go to the house that they're supposed to go to. People are standing outside looking at them, and someone says, what are you doing? And the disciples, they answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. So... God knows every situation that we'll ever enter into before we ever get to it. And he's already provided a solution. He's already provided a, a way of escape. He's already provided an answer um, before we get there. But it's in our obedience that we will find that provision. And that obedience as a response to our relationship with him, it, it, it opens up the door for, for that provision and for other blessings that we can have through him. Um, so... That is all that I have for tonight. I hope that this, um, I hope that it was illuminating in, in some way for you. And I hope that it helps you to see our Father as the loving Father that He is and to recognize that we are children. And I, I don't think it was, I know it was not by accident that He calls us His children and then He, he makes, uh, He gives us children of our own so that we can see those dynamics and understand those dynamics in a different way. No matter how old we get, we will never cease to be our father's children, and he will never cease to be our father. Um, so I'm um, just going to end out with a word of prayer. Oh, I, I do want to say if, um, if you would like to get to know him as your heavenly father, um, if you are, have questions um, about anything that was, that was said tonight, if you're just looking for some a way to deepen your relationship with him. We do have prayer partners, and those numbers will be provided on the screen. So please feel free at any time to give us a call, um, and we'll, we'll just be there for you. Um, Father God, I, I thank you for this night. I thank you for this incredible opportunity to speak into your people. I pray that the hearts were ready to receive it, that it fell upon hearts that were ready and ears that were ready to receive a word from you. 
And I, I speak blessings over those who are listening, and I, I just thank you for the, the time that you've given to go into your Father's Word a little bit more. Um, Lord, give them a hunger and a desire for you, and help us to see ourselves as your children. Help us to come to you as a loving father, as a protector, as a friend, as a confidant, and help us to just, just dig deeper and, and go deeper into this relationship with you. Father God, bless us in the coming week as we go further, as we go back into our workplaces. And Lord, just I just pray that you would have your way in our lives, in, in us and through us, that we would bear much fruit in this earth, that we would subdue it and, and take full authority in the areas where you have called us to take authority. Father God, we thank you and we bless you. We love you. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You all have a fabulous night.